imaginary advice. So, yeah, I mean, this is a, this is a true story. What can you see, Neil? It's strange, the code is somehow different. Encrypted, maybe. Not Matrix Reloaded, obviously. Uh, but no, I, I do have a story that you can kind of overlay over the top of the second Matrix film. And uh, like the Matrix franchise, my story is also about simulated worlds and the split between mind and body. But unlike the Matrix films, my story starts in Norwich. So in 2003, I was living in Norwich, attending university, trying to work out what I wanted to do with my life. Um, one day, a friend of mine lends me a copy of a magazine called The Face. If you don't know The Face, basically it was a music, fashion and culture magazine. Like In its heyday, it was the guide to what new trends were happening across the UK. You know, it was funny and it was cool and it was sexy. And I don't know if you've ever visited Norwich, but Norwich isn't really any of those three things. I mean, in actual fact, I mean, compared to the world of the face with all its wonderful, complex musical subgenres and encyclopedic knowledge of fashion, the people of Norwich look a little bit like... Uh, uh, they, look, they look a little bit like pastry-faced simpletons squatting in a ditch. So anyway, I was quite taken with this magazine. Uh, and so I started to read the face every month and I began to fantasise about what it would be like to work for that company, you know, to live in the capital and spend all my time attending crazy drug parties and then getting to write long articles full of swear words about how culturally significant the whole thing was. Now, it, it left me with this, this feeling that I, I, I don't think that I got from anywhere else. There was a feeling that, you know, just maybe studying English at university wasn't as boring as everyone thought, you know, and just maybe I wouldn't have to become a secondary school English teacher after all, if only I could find a way into the seductive world of national lifestyle journalism. Now at the time, in order to get an internship at The Face, you had to send them a letter listing 10 things that you thought they should be covering in their magazine. And uh, that was that was easy for me. You know, I wrote my list and had it in the post in less than an hour after seeing the ad. I think the reason why it was so easy for me to write that list was because um, I just made it all up. Uh, none of it was based in any semblance of truth whatsoever. I just I just came up with ten things that sounded cool. Uh, one of the things that I claimed uh, was happening was I said that in, in hip-hop clubs, kids wearing their jeans backwards, uh, like the band Crisscross did in the 90s. I mean, that's, that's, that's so obviously not true, isn't it? <laughs> but at the time, you know, I, I didn't think that mattered. I really didn't. I, 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 caring about the truth just seemed to go against the irreverent voice of the counterculture. You know, 
So I just I just convinced myself that it was in fact just really edgy and cool to to be a liar. I mean, I was also desperate. This was the only idea I'd had about a career, right? So I, I wanted this so badly. You know, I I, I would have done anything. So anyway, I get an internship and obviously I'm ecstatic. But when I get there, I suddenly realise that I don't really know anything about how journalism works. But I don't speak to anyone or ask any questions or ask for help in any way because this is the face, right? This is the face, like doing work. It's not cool, is it? So I just sit there day after day playing solitaire, trying my best to look unconventional uh, while still desperately waiting for someone to notice and give me something to do. And I keep this up for almost the entire internship until it gets to my penultimate day. Finally, the deputy editor calls me over and says, Ross, do you want to go to the cinema? So, I'm sent to the industry premiere of Matrix 2 to cover it for the magazine. It looked as if all those games of solitaire were finally paying off. Now, as I'm travelling across London, I'm thinking to myself, oh, this is going to be great. First of all, after the powerhouse of the first Matrix film, surely Matrix 2 is going to kick ass, right? It's going to be even better than the first one, right? It's going to be even better. But uh, even more than that, right, this is, I'm going to be, I'm going to be in with the A-listers tonight. The event itself might make an even better article than the film, because there's going to be booze, there's drugs. If a famous person does something unconscionable, I'm going to be there to cover it, all in a sort of knowing, sardonic voice. Basically, this is my time to shine. So we've been told to go to some cocktail bar in Borough at midday for an opening drinks reception. I'm there, on the dock. That's my first mistake. I'm unfashionably eager, uh, which means that for the first hour, it's just me and uh, the main host of the event. But that's okay, because the host keeps me entertained with an hour-long demonstration off her mobile phone. Eventually, though, other guests start arriving, so straight away, I'm starting to look for celebrities. I'm expecting... Larry Fishburne to walk in any moment. However, like instead of Larry Fishburne, in comes 10 young Korean men in t-shirts and khakis. Then after that, there's, there's some more Korean guys and then some more Korean guys. Now, look, you might have noticed a pattern by this point, but for me, you know, like it, it really isn't until the room is literally packed with Koreans that I start to think that I just might be in the wrong place. I asked the main host, uh, but no, no, in actual fact, I'm in the right place. This is exactly where I'm meant to be. It's just that this event isn't quite what I thought it was. I've not actually been sent to the red carpet premiere. That was last night. This is the technology industry launch, which is hosted by Samsung. Uh, Samsung, who pay for all the product placement in the film. So everyone who's going to be at this screening tonight is basically either a corporate client of Samsung or a Samsung employee. Now, actually, there are two other journalists, uh, a guy from What Hi-Fi magazine and a girl from In-Car Entertainment Monthly. 
So, uh, yeah, I, I, I guess that's cool. So the three of us pretty much just hang out together, get really drunk and uh, share stories from the fucking journalism frontline. Very, very soon, the party gets transported down the road to the IMAX cinema. At this point, booze starts to make the story a little bit hazy. I remember all the security guards being dressed like Agent Smiths, you know, with the shades and the earpiece and the receding hairline, which, you know, which I guess is pretty much what all bouncers look like anyway. So, you know, maybe that wasn't a thing. Maybe that... Maybe they were just bouncers. I can't say for certain. I remember grabbing a complimentary glass of wine from an Agent Smith in the foyer and then heading into the screening. I remember sitting down. I remember feeling very, very drunk. And then... Amy, again, Mr. Anderson. Well, that's the difference between us. I've been expecting you. What do you want, Smith? And then waking up about two minutes from the end of the film. I open my eyes to see 500 Hugo Weavings running down a corridor. And uh, I'm thinking to myself, God, God no, if I, if I hadn't fallen asleep, all of this would make sense right now. Although, yeah, since then, I have reliably been informed that it doesn't make any sense no matter how many times you see it. But anyway, soon the film is over. Afterwards, there's a chance to, uh, to grab a couple more quick drinks in the foyer before the press party gets led out onto a boat that sets off down the Thames, blaring the first Matrix film soundtrack out of the public address system, whilst me and a bunch of Korean guys chug even more complimentary booze at the bar. Eventually, the boat pulls up to the London Eye. Now, this is meant to be the big surprise, the, the climax of the hospitality. An Agent Smith opens the door to a pod, and we pile in, all of us, into the pod, and up we go. Now, the main PR host is in the same pod as me, along with the What Hi-Fi guy and the girl from In-Car Entertainment Monthly, plus a bunch of very professional, serious-looking businessmen, Samsung bigwigs, probably. We're clearly in the VIP pod. The host has brought a little ghetto blaster with her, so we can keep listening to the Matrix soundtrack. Thank God, just in case someone's not bored of that Club to Death song yet. Green fireworks start to explode above us, reflected in the river below, and all of it, it's all just for us. And I know that I'm drunk out of my mind, but London, it just looks so beautiful that uh, just for a second, uh, I, 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 I allow myself a happy thought. I think to myself, this is it. I'm actually a lifestyle journalist. This is how the other half live. I've broken through to the other side. Wow, I'm, I'm kind of like Neo. Before that night, no one had ever given me a free drink in my life. And then suddenly, you know, like, here was a world that seemed to run entirely on free booze. 
I was suddenly standing in the dirty engine room of culture where people tried to buy your respect and influence, which, you know, like, sure, like, might sound unethical. But at the same time, like, hey, that meant that someone thought that I had influence worth buying. And sure, you know, it wasn't exactly what I'd imagined back in Norwich, but maybe this was more interesting. Forget all that celebrity tittle-tattle. This was the article that I needed to write. The article about corporate sponsorship and product placement. Artists in bed with media and advertisers alike. This new shameless age of film advertising. This is it. I'm seeing the Matrix for the first time. And I think this idea sobers me up just enough for my brain to become aware of this terrible pain in my side. Now, I, I, I hadn't noticed it before, but all of a sudden, like, it really, really hurts. Like, it, it must have been there for ages, but I was just too drunk to notice. And I'm, I'm totally baffled for a second. I even pull up my shirt to see if I've been stabbed. But then it hits me. Oh, no, it's obvious. Oh, I, I, just, I just need the toilet i mean there's no need to panic it's just you know i haven't had a chance to go to the bathroom all evening because i mean like i didn't go in the cinema and there wasn't one on the boat and oh my fuck no i'm stuck on this giant big wheel for the next 45 minutes now i have to stress that this was like a total emergency there was no way that i could make it through to the other side i mean no way i mean I had been so excited by everything that had been going on, my brain had somehow managed to block out the signal until I was absolutely desperate. So, as I stand there talking to a group of Samsung employees and a lady from Incart Entertainment Monthly, all I can think is, this is it, I'm gonna die. Either from liver failure or from some kind of penis exposing embarrassment, I didn't know which one was worse. I knew that if I did it, if I pulled out my penis and whizzed up the glass wall off the pod, I wouldn't just be pissing on my newfound journalist friends or pissing on these nice Korean gentlemen who just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. I would be pissing on the image of London itself, the city of my dreams. I would be pissing on the face of the face. For the first time in my life, just for a second, I thought I had power, I thought I had influence, and now my body had rejected it like a gallstone. For a second, my dream of a life as a full-time media twat was real, and then just as quickly, it was lost. So I take my rucksack off my back. I put it in front of me. I get down on my knees, unzip my rucksack before me. I unzip my fly. I take a large wine glass and I place it inside the bag. And then I whiz into the wine glass, filling it right up to the brim. Now, I I assure you, I could have filled that glass many, many, many times over. But luckily, I managed to stop at the brim good front sphincter control I've always prided myself on that and this release takes the edge off it buys me some time 
And of course, this means that for the next 40 minutes, I'm basically schmoozing my way around this pod, holding a wine glass of steaming hot piss. Worst of all, people keep making toasts, and every single time they do, I have to just move away suddenly before anyone can clink my glass. See, what strikes me as strange is, you know, at the time, I genuinely thought that I'd got away with it. I thought this was just the perfect crime. Now, looking back, I think they, 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 they probably all saw me do it. I mean, the, the pods on the London Eye, they're about the size of a large lift. It's not like I was hiding around a corner somewhere. And they could, they could probably smell it too. But I'm there, you know, like working the room with my glass of piss, just pretending that everything's okay. Uh. Anyway, it's uh, it's the end of the rotation. Our pod reaches the ground again. The pod door opens, and an Agent Smith is standing there. He uh, he holds out his hand to try and take my drink off me as I as I exit the pod. Sorry, not a drink. It's not a drink. Piss in the glass, right? He ties to take my glass of piss off me, right? Because uh, apparently I'm not allowed to take it with me, but I don't want to give it to him. Uh, but he, he he says he, he has to have it, but I don't want him to have it. And he reaches for it. And in a sudden moment of involuntary reflex, I throw it. Luckily, not in his face. I fling it into the Thames behind me. He looks at me confused. And I pause for a second before running full pelt away from the London Eye as fast as I possibly can along the edge of the Thames in search of a loo. And I remember as I ran, shouting back in the direction of the Agent Smith, it was corked. The wine was corked. Like, I don't know, Like that, that somehow explains what had happened. The next morning, I arrive at the face office, and it's deadline day. Everybody is running around the office like crazy. Now, you see, there's been a massive redesign on this issue. Uh, they're trying to revamp the magazine. Now, no one knows this in the office at the time, but this redesign is the beginning of the end for the face, which was already suffering quite a steep decline in readership, probably at the hands of the rise of internet message boards and blogs and social media, blah, blah, blah. See, that, that kind of one-size-fits-all magazine just no longer... It just didn't quite align with what people wanted anymore, which which was, was a real shame because the face was, was really, really good. And so good, in fact, that it made a generation of its readers think that they could do it too. The publication is going to fold within the year and quite a few other lifestyle magazines are going to follow. Like this is like the start of the long death rattle of the entire industry. But anyway, no one knows any of that right now. That's that's all in the future. So hopes are high. I bump into the deputy editor in the stairwell and uh, she says to me, hey, so how was it? How was, how was the film? And I say to her, well, it's a, it's a funny story, but uh, 
Basically, I got drunk and I pretty much missed everything. But I did piss in the London Eye. This stupid fucking cocky look on my face like I'm Hunter S. Thompson. And, you know, uh, yeah, I think I could still do a pretty good write-up. And maybe if she'd said yes, then the face would still be around today. No, no, that's not it. Sorry. No, forget. That, that's, that, that's not the moral of the story. <laughs> so anyway, I say that to her and she says, quite rightly, she says, nah, nah, I'm not interested, thanks. You're all right, thank you. No. <laughs> and that was the end of my internship and pretty much the end of my career in journalism. And you see, like, they were right not to give a shit about my story. Like, well, I, I, as are you, obviously. But I think I think it's telling that I never once argued back, I never showed initiative, I never did any research, I never once did any actual journalism. My idea of what a, a journalist was was just a sort of adolescent fantasy about being paid to have an opinion. I was just too busy trying to act cool that like, I, I totally forgot to do the job. And I don't know if you've noticed from the story, but um, I did a pretty bad job of looking cool. So that's in fact that's just occurred to me, um, right? If everybody in the pod knew that I'd read into that wine glass, were they trying to do toasts on purpose? Oh God, that's oh, that's even worse, isn't it? That's worse. Now, like 12 years later, um, I'm still not a journalist. Uh, In fact, uh, as it turns out, these days, I spend most of my time in secondary schools uh, teaching. And, you know, it's it's not so bad. You know, it's uh, it's not so bad. Imaginary advice. So that's the end of the podcast um, for another week. Thanks again for listening. Uh, and and um, yeah, thanks to those of you who um, emailed me. Uh, about the uh, the Jay Z episode that I did um, two weeks ago, uh, I really don't know how long that episode is going to stay up before um, you know before the inevitable. So yeah, like if if you haven't listened to the episode where I remix Jay Z's The Black Album into a short story, then uh, that's uh, that's that's episode thirteen uh, on the podcast. Um, in general, like if you enjoy the podcast and you want to support it in some way, um, just leaving a review on iTunes um, will do me a lot, a lot of good. And uh, that's 
Oh, um, can I be back? Oh, okay. Oh, yep. Yeah, got actually. Um, if you want to come out and see me live, um, I've got uh, a, a live event I'm doing uh, at the Bongo Club in Edinburgh on uh, Friday, June nineteenth. That's at a night called Rally and Broad. I'm on the bill with Hannah Silver and Ryan Van Winkle and uh, music from Withered Hand. I think that's going to be really, really good. And then up the week after that, uh, June 25th, also in Edinburgh, it's the UK debut of uh, my film, Stand By for Take Backup, which is uh, screening at the Edinburgh Film Festival uh, at 10 to 9. And I'll, I'll be there uh, doing a Q&A. After the film, I think. So that's all um, from me. Uh, until next time, thanks again for listening. My name is Ross Sutherland. Uh, this is Imaginary Advice. Mm-hmm.